But Mike, I do notice. <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to just confess that. But I'm amazed at the times that our worship will just dovetail so well with what the Lord is wanting to say to us as a body. Truly it is His church, and He will guide and direct if we allow Him to. All right, Massey's left. i got to brag on that little girl. If you ever get a chance, sit near Massey. You will enjoy worship, because that girl does. <laughs> and it is such a blessing. And I, I will say things to her. Now, Massey, don't hold back this morning. You sing. <laughs> and she says, I won't. <laughs> and she doesn't. So it's great to, just to have Massey near you during worship. So this morning, we're at Exodus chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 20 through 22 through 27. And Israel has just had a worship service led by Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, and they have sang a spontaneous song to the Lord. Uh, all of Israel has sang this song. Israel is rejoicing over the deliverance God has brought them through by bringing them through the Red Sea. And uh, Israel has been delivered, but they have also seen the entire Egyptian army drown in the very sea that they passed through on dry land. They have seen the bodies of the Egyptians in washing up on the seashore. And this has been a terrible but awesome display of God's power. And God has brought Israel out of Egypt. And they begin now a 40-year journey, a 40-year testing, as God will now bring Egypt out of Israel. They will go through a 40-year testing period to prepare them for what God has for them, the promised land. And in a simple, straightforward terms, Israel is being sanctified by God as his own people. You know, our Lord saves us, and then we go through what we call a sanctification process where God prepares us for himself. He set us apart, and then he prepares us. Israel has been in Egypt for 430 years, and that's a long time. It's a long time where you, like it or not, you begin to develop uh, the patterns of behavior of those around you. And uh, Egypt has been a country that is caught up into idolatrous worship of idols and it's had its effect on Israel. Egypt in scripture is symbolic of sinful behavior. And now God will bring his people out. He will change them and it's going to take a little time for God to change them. Sometimes 
we're, we're guilty as Christians of seeing a newborn believer, and we want that instant change. And many times it takes years for God to make that change. Look at your own life. I know that my life uh, is still undergoing changes. God tries to develop in me the character that he wants. But the very first lesson God teaches Israel uh, is to fear him. He wants Israel to fear him, and he wants Israel to trust him and really believe in him and rely upon him and to fully understand that God is worthy of our trust and faith in him. Israel had to go through many difficult times. As individuals, as Christians, we will go through many difficult times. And it's been said we're on a lifetime plan, a life-changing journey with our Lord. And sometimes it takes us our entire life. But there is no other way to learn to trust God than by going through what we call difficult times. You don't learn anything on the mountaintop. It's the valleys. It's those difficult trials. It's where our faith grows. It's where our character grows. That's when we become men and women of God is during the difficult times. Um, I used to love bumper stickers because a bumper sticker could tell you in a moment what that person was all about. <laughs> and we don't see bumper stickers anymore to speak of, uh, but they were great sermon fodder bumper stickers. And uh, there was one I remember, it's Christians are not perfect, they're just forgiven. That's true. But that statement reflects our need of trials. Because God is trying to perfect you. <laughs> and it's been said of trials, you're either coming out of a trial, going into the, a trial, or you're right in the middle of a trial. Trials are part of the life of a Christian. And a trial is nothing more than God, by his spirit, chipping off our rough areas, our rough edges. And some of us have more rough edges than others. For example, no. <laughs> Israel is set forth in their wilderness journey as examples in Scripture of how not to react to God. They're examples many times of what not to do. And sometimes that's the best example, is how we should not act. But let's take a look at this people who have just been part of this great miracle of deliverance through the Red Sea. Israel has sang its song of worship to God, but now they're three days out into the wilderness. So let's pick up in Exodus 15, verse 22 through 27. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. 
Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Israel is now three days out into the wilderness and no water. This is a very dry, very desolate area, and Israel is a great multitude. Israel, they not only need water to drink, many of them need to take a bath by now <laughs> and wash off some of the dirt and grime of the desert. Not only that, all of their animals are thirsty, and they need a drink also. And they finally come to a water supply, and the water is bitter, undrinkable. Can you imagine the disappointment the, to have this water that you finally come upon after three days walking in the desert, and you can't drink it? Now, being a cattleman myself, I am a cattleman. I have a huge herd. I got five cows. <laughs> cows know how to drink water. A dog or a cat will lap water. A cow vacuums water. I'm serious. I get fascinated just watching them drink, and I listen for it, and, it, and, and they're taking water in, man. <laughs> Now, most of the time I have a stream-fed pond and I don't have to worry about watering my cows. But it's been a little dry lately and I'm watching my pond shrink. And I have a 100-gallon water trough that when it gets dry that I will fill up for the cows to drink. 100 gallons, five cows. Every other day I have to fill up that 100-gallon trough of water. A cow will drink 8 to 10 gallons of water a day. And like I said, they vacuum it. But Israel, they're out in the wilderness. They're out in the desert. They need water to drink. So they resort to murmuring. And they murmur against Moses. Murmur, that's an interesting word. It kind of describes itself by the sound of itself. Murmuring is a low volume of voices complaining, and thus you have the word murmur. It is not a loud complaining that's going on, but it's a low kind of buzzing murmur. Count of, 
you ever been a, near a beehive that is real active? You know, that drone sound that goes out there? That's what murmuring is. But no one is brave enough to raise their voice, but they're all murmuring. And finally, someone raises the question, Hey, Moses, what are we going to drink? <laughs> now, Moses does not murmur. He cries out to the Lord. I have my way of murmuring. And I will begin to gripe and complain about the behavior of other Christians, how they're not really committed to the Lord and that kind of thing. And when I begin to hear myself being critical of others over petty things, it dawns on me that I am murmuring. And it's me that needs the attitude adjustment. <laughs> and it's easy to fall into bitterness like Naomi in the book of Ruth. Remember what Naomi said? Just call me Mara because life is bitter. And we have to guard against that kind of attitude sometimes. And that's nothing more than an ungrateful, unthankful attitude. And our Lord doesn't appreciate an unthankful heart. I find it offensive when I hear someone else, an unthankful person, complaining about difficulties that are more than nothing more than normal happening of life and I certainly don't like it when I see that in myself and if you've ever spent any time around a person that is constantly murmuring and complaining it won't be long before they have you as depressed as they are <laughs> it's contagious now, think for a moment. What if Moses would have murmured instead of crying out to God? There would have been no deliverance. It would have just been a bunch of people out there complaining. But Moses, he doesn't murmur. He cries out to God. And there is a solution from God immediately. Moses cut down this tree, cast it in the waters, and the waters will become sweet. Many times, God's deliverance, his solution to our problem, is right there next to our problem or our difficulty. Out on the farm, that's where I had to pull all my examples from, sorry. Most of the time, I will start a project and I work all by myself. You know, there's no hired hands around, so I do a lot of work by myself. And I'll be working on some project and be completely stymied as how to do it all by myself. So I have learned, Lord, show me how to do this without anybody there to help me. And invariably, God will show me a solution to how to do it by myself. Little example, have you ever tried to put a cow in a trailer out in the middle of a pasture 
all by yourself. That cow does not want to get in that trailer. Let me just help you with that. So you have to learn ways to, you have to learn ways to entice that cow to get into a trailer. And you develop trust and patience, which are good things to develop. But God has heard Moses. And now God lays out a plan, a path for Israel. Verse 26. Diligently heed the Lord your God's voice. Diligently heed or obey. It means you've got to be looking and listening for God's direction. Diligent. Be diligent about it. Diligence requires you to be faithful to call upon God and listen for his solution. Now, I do very little personal counseling here. Only once in a while will I get pulled into personal counseling. But each and every week that I stand up here, I try to give you God's word. And I do this each and every week. So in truth, I counsel you on a weekly basis. One of the reasons, uh, as a Calvary Chapel, that we go through the entire Bible is we believe that all of God's word is for our instruction. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all for us. God is guiding and directing us if we will bother to study his word. And so we study God's word. We study it line upon line, precept upon precept. We go through the entire scriptures because we believe the entire scriptures are for us. We try to be diligent to put God's statutes and commandments into our heart and into our mind. I can tell you where my text will come from next week. Exodus 16, that's where we'll be next week. After that, 17. You know, it's real difficult. It sure takes a pressure off of me trying to find a, uh, a text that is uh, pertinent to what we're doing. God leads, he guides, his word gives us our text for next week. So it'll be out of Exodus 16. But God has told Israel, Dilig diligently heed my voice. Listen to me, my people. Do what is right in God's sight. Give ear to his commandments. Keep all of his statutes. Notice we're to do what is right in God's sight. Mankind, because of our stubbornness, because of our ignorance, we have a tendency to do what? Do what is right in our own eyes. And the philosophies, the things that we hear people say, uh, it's staggering. Go to a funeral sometime and listen to people talk about an old friend that has died and, 
and their ideas of heaven are just absurd. <laughs> you know, they have nothing to do with reality. You know, and I sit there, huh? <laughs> I heard one, yeah, old Joe, he's up there having a coffee with the big man in the sky. Really? <laughs> I wanted to, uh-uh. <laughs> but uh, people will say things like, I have my own beliefs. And as long as I'm really faithful to what I believe, I'll be okay. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, that could be one of the biggest lies ever foisted upon you also. God has brought Israel out of Egypt, a nation that worshipped idols, who thought Pharaoh was divine. They also thought that uh, chariots of the Egyptian army, the Egyptian did, thought they would float. But God said, no, they won't. I'll drown you in them. And we read how God he says he determined to gain honor over the Egyptians because of their ways, because of their hard hearts, because they were idol worshipers. They opposed God, and God said, hey, I'm going to gain honor over them. And God did gain honor over them. Now God declares to his people Israel, he says, keep my statutes. Keep my commandments and then here's what he promises and I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians that's heavy today let me just be very candid here today the world is ravaged by what we call STDs sexually transmitted diseases. If the world would obey God's commandments and statutes, STDs would be completely eliminated within one generation. But the world doesn't. The world lives a promiscuous sex type existence and thus the STD epidemic flourishes. That's just fact. But that's the sinful world that we're not to be part of. How about the church of Jesus Christ? The church as a whole no longer adheres to God's statutes and commands. Survey after survey reveals there is a moral collapse in the evangelical church of Jesus Christ. Only about half of professing Christians believe God's word is inerrant or without uh, any falsehood in it whatsoever. God's word is completely truthful, but only one half of professing Christians believe that. And sad to say, today we have practicing homosexuals filling the pulpits in mainstream denominations in America. How wrong, how deluded, how deceived can a society believe? And those of us who do believe and trust in God's word 
I got news for you. We are becoming a minority within the Christian church. So where does that leave us? We can look for, we can expect the diseases of the world to come calling upon the American church because God says, I'm not going to protect you unless you diligently seek me and listen to me. We can begin to expect this kind of thing to come to America. And it's coming. Watch the five o'clock news. The diseases and epidemics are all around us. But I take great comfort in the last sentence of verse 26. It's very encouraging. For I am the Lord who heals you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Perhaps you haven't noticed, or maybe you have noticed, our ladies here at Calvary Chapel have been going through a rough, rough couple months now. <laughs> We've had many surgeries within uh, our ladies here, and I'm not going to name them off. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But we have a lot of ladies recovering from surgery. Aubrey, she tried to perform surgery on her own hand. Show the hand. <laughs> no, she cut her hand. And so our ladies are going through it, and we're praying for our ladies. But here's the good news. When we obey God in his word, he promises to be our healer. I couldn't say anything better to you than that. God promises to be the Lord who heals us. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to get you to stand, and we're going to close in prayer. But I want us to agree in prayer for anybody that needs healing. And I'm going to pray. And if you're here, and you're recovering from perhaps surgery, and some of our ladies are, <laughs> this, is, this verse is for you. God wants to be your healer, and we sure want to give him that opportunity. Father God, by your word, you declared that you are our Lord who heals us. And Lord, there's, right now, there's, I know of half a dozen or more ladies that need a touch from your hand, Lord. You are the great healer. You tell us in the New Testament you're the great physician. So Lord, we pray first of all that you would put a heart within us that is obedient to you. We want to be diligent in our obedience to you, Lord. And then we want to experience your healing touch upon our bodies. You tell us that you will heal us and we want to give you that opportunity to heal us. So be our healer, Lord. It's that straightforward. It's that simple. We thank you for good medical care, Lord, but you're the one who heals the body. You're the one that brings uh, healing into these bodies that are, are, are suffering many times. And so, Lord, we ask you, be our healer. We ask you this and we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to have a potluck shortly. Always hang around. Always plenty of food. 
so you have no excuse. We got food. You got an appetite. We can get together. All right, let me give you God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.